Good evening. Joshua chapter 15 is where we're going to spend our time tonight. If you have your Bible, you may want to open it up there. It's one of the longest chapters in the book of Joshua, 60-some-odd verses, 63, I think, maybe, in the book of uh, Joshua chapter number 15. We're not going to look at that verse by verse. If we did, it might take us a long while. But we are there, and we are going to talk about some things that we will find. Now, if you remember, you'll know that the last three chapters that we've looked at have dealt with the division, the, the taking, the dividing of the land of uh, promise that God had given the children of Israel. And, and tonight, uh, we have no exception in regard to that. As a matter of fact, what we're looking at tonight has to do with the, the land that was given to the tribe of Judah. And if you look at your Bible, if you have it open, you look at it in uh, chapter number 15, beginning at verse 1, he specifically tells us that that's what he's going to be doing, that's what he's going to be, be telling us about in regard to, 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 to what we find in this chapter. Now, if you take time to read chapter number 15, you're going to find that it looks like an old deed. How many of you have ever read some of the deeds, some of the descriptions of the land that uh, perhaps you or your family own? You know, sometimes what you'll see is, well, you start at such and such a corner and it goes down to such and such a tree. It's 500 feet down to such and such a tree. And then you go to a certain direction and, and you find a rock and that one goes all the way back to a stream and in the middle of the stream, that's where your land is going to stop. Now my, my deed actually has some different things in regard to, you know, it starts here at this particular point, but on the back side of my lot it still says it goes down to a creek. Now if that creek moves, I don't know if it's going to get more of my land or more of somebody else's land, but it goes down to the creek. But that's sort of what we have here in Joshua chapter 15. If you're reading through it, just scan through it, uh, he'll talk about part of the, the boundary is going to be the Salt Sea. He'll, he'll talk about part of the boundary is going to be the mouth of the Jordan River. And, and then he'll give you know, a description as to where, it, it, where it's going to be found. And, and so we're not going to spend a lot of time tonight in talking about the boundaries. It's interesting to study that and to look and to actually trace some of the things out throughout the pages of the Old Testament to see how this unfolds. Now we will, I'll tell you at the end of our lesson tonight, or toward the end of our lesson, we will look at one particular spot of land that's mentioned down toward the end of chapter number 15, but uh, we won't spend all of our time tonight just actually looking at the land boundaries and, and talking about those things. But one of the things that you will notice as you're reading down through Joshua chapter 15, is that you're going to come across a name that we talked about last week that's found in chapter number 14 as well, and that name is Caleb. And we're going to again encounter Caleb in this chapter. Now the reason we encounter Caleb in this chapter is because he is of the tribe of Judah. Uh, he had been specifically promised some land by God, back before they ever entered the promised land, he was one of the spies. We know the story. We're not going to have to rehash all of that. He was one of the only two men who was above 20 years old who, who lived, but God had specifically given him some land. 
And if you notice in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, verse number 6, when the spies were sent out, they were choosing the different spies, and it specifically states that Caleb is from the tribe of Judah. And so that's why we're going to encounter him again here in chapter number uh, 15 of the book of uh, Joshua. Now, verse number 13, he tells about chapter 15, verse 13 of the book of Joshua. He tells about that land. He gives some names there uh, in regard to the land that was promised. Now, remember last time we have Joshua asking for a specific uh, hill country, or as the King James Version puts it, he says, give me this mountain. But we know here that he's speaking about Hebron, and we know that he's talking about the land that's surrounding that. And uh, uh, so we have that uh, laid out for us again here in this chapter. Now one of the things that we do understand and know from Joshua chapter 15 is that not only did Caleb ask for the land and God grant him the land, but Caleb was actually able to take the land. If you notice in verse 14, And Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak. Now, last time we talked about the fact that these men were giants. The, the people, the descendants of Anak, were, were, were very great and tall men. The Bible would describe them. And he, he was able to actually conquer the land that God had promised that he would give him. And so, with the help of God, you know, we can pretty much do anything that we set out to do that's in the accordance with the will of God, but he's able to do that. And so it's reassuring to us tonight to see that not only did God make a promise and Caleb have faith in the promise, but that the follow-through is taken care of both by God and Caleb himself. And so he's able to take the land as we look at it there in verse number 14. Now, having taken Hebron from the, uh, from the, uh, uh, the Anakin, the, the sons of Anak, <coughs> there's an additional portion of land that, that God has promised to Caleb. And so we're going to encounter that as well. And that's where we have an interesting story that begins to come into play from this particular passage as we, he goes down to, to Deborah. The Bible says, beginning in verse 15 of chapter 15, these words, And he went up from there, that is from Hebron, he went up from there against the inhabitants of Deborah. Now the name of Deborah formerly was kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, Whoever strikes kiriath Sefer and captures it to him will I give Aksar my daughter as wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, captured it, and he gave him Aksar, his daughter, as wife. Let me just get this out of the way. When you see that name Aksar there, the first thing that I think about is, is one of our British brothers or sisters in Christ. They're trying to say Hacksaw, but they can't get Hacksaw out, and, but they get Aksar. And that's the name, that's how it's pronounced, the name of, uh, of Caleb's daughter. And so when we're talking about Axel tonight, that's who we're talking about is his daughter. Now, as you look at that story and you think about what is said here, it probably sounds sort of strange to us that 
A man would offer his daughter to someone who is able to actually capture a particular plot of land. And, and, and we would think that, hey, you know, there, there's probably something that's wrong with this picture. Now, a couple of things you've got to remember. In those days, it wasn't the son or the daughter who made the decision as to who they were going to marry. It was the mom and the daddy. And they would contract it out, I guess you might say, so that, you know, you'd have different ones who, who married. There were certain ones that were not allowed to be married. But, but it's really not strange at all, considering the time, that Caleb is going to choose who was going to be his son-in-law, who his daughter was going to marry. And we could spend a lot of time, you know, uh, going back through. We, we see uh, Abraham picking out someone from, for Isaac, uh, you know, finding him a wife and going back, all those stories that, that we could uh, talk about in regard to Rebecca and how she chose to come back uh, after they dealt with her family. We studied about that uh, a long while ago now when we were studying through the book of Genesis. But it was very common. It was, it was more common for that to happen than not. And so it may sound strange to us, but in reality, it wasn't that strange. And, and again, when you think about it, you see the story unfold, uh, you don't really see any uh, kickback from Axel. Uh, she, she seems to go along with this, uh, uh, okay, she seems to be, to be fine with it as the story develops. And so, even though it sounds strange to us, it would not have been strange to them. But let me suggest to you tonight that as Caleb is looking at this particular event, and he's saying that, you know, whoever, whoever is able to capture Deborah, I will give him my daughter as his wife, I think Caleb was probably looking at more than just the acquisition of real estate. He had more on his mind than that. Well, what do you mean? Well, you see, Caleb realized that unless he had some descendants to occupy and maintain the land, it was not going to be of any value to him. He could have it for a while. But what happened if he didn't have anybody to pass it on to? And so the descendants, yes, he had a daughter, but if daughter's not married and doesn't, she doesn't have any children, what happens to the land after that? Sometimes I think we might look at stories like this and we see them and we think that, well, that's weird, that's strange, but perhaps there are lessons within those that we can learn. Now I want you to think about something with me tonight. Think about what is said in the book of Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. If you've heard that one time, you've probably heard that a thousand times, that verse, or, or probably more, that passage. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. A lot of times, what is it that we sort of tend to, 
to have as our focus. We want to go out and we want to capture the land, don't we? In other words, we want to make conversions. We want to, we want to baptize people into Christ. And, and sometimes, especially in, in mission fields, they have to guard against this quite, uh, uh, quite hard, especially in certain countries. A lot of times they'll go out and they'll have a hundred baptisms or perhaps even a thousand baptisms. And missionaries will report that back to their sponsoring congregations back in the States. Or, or, or we will, in the States, we'll, we will make a push and we will baptize people into Christ. Well, that's not all that passage said, is it? That's not all that we're taught to do. Not just baptize them, but we're to make disciples out of them. How do we do that? By teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded. In other words, we have to populate, but we also have to maintain. We have to raise a crop of spiritual children that grow into mature Christians. And if we don't put emphasis on that, if we don't think about the years to come, what's going to happen in later years, we may not be any better off than Caleb would have been had he conquered Deborah and had no children, had no descendants, no one to pass it along to. Have you ever thought about what the church here at Midway will be like in 50 years? Or a hundred years from now? Will it be in good and capable hands? Will it continue to thrive and grow? Or will it be like a lot of congregations that perhaps you have known and I have known in years gone by that, that just barely hang on anymore? Just enough to keep the lights on. Caleb had to think about that. He needed descendants in his family who would be able to not only live on the land, but maintain the land. And so, you know, as I look at it and I see these things, we, we have to take some of this into consideration and, and perhaps learn some of the lessons because why was the Old Testament given to us? For our learning. Now, here's something else as we, as we think about in regard to, to this. It, you know, it, it may look as though that Caleb is, is just sort of randomly trying to pick somebody out. Uh, whoever can go and take this land, then I will give my daughter Axel to him. That, that, that he, you know, does it sort of seem to you like he's more concerned with, with a, a mighty warrior than a godly man? Uh, is his daughter not more important than that? You know, a lot of times you'll hear fathers say things like, you know, uh, there's no boy that's ever going to be good enough for my daughter. Uh, did uh, Caleb sort of have the attitude with, well, just about anybody would be able to do as long as he's a, a, a good warrior? I'm not sure that's the case. You see, I think Caleb had some other things perhaps in mind. Knowing the character of Caleb, I think we can see some things that, that probably 
uh, in reading between the lines help us to know even more. You see, an attack on uh, Kiriath Sefer, uh, on Deborah as it would later be called, would require a man with faith like Caleb's. You see, Caleb needed someone who was willing to step out and have faith in God that, hey, we, like I drove out the Anakim, the three sons of Anak, and God was with me. Remember, he made the statement perhaps, and I'm paraphrasing this to some degree, out of chapter 14, perhaps with God on my side, we can drive them out. He needed someone like that. He needed someone, not just with a backbone, but with a faith. And I think that's one of the things that perhaps we may see in this man. Now, as you think about this guy, we need to ask a question. We know that from the passage that we've already read in Joshua chapter 15, verse number 17, we know who the guy was. We are given his name. His name is Othniel. Now, who is Othniel? Now, there's some information that's given to us here in chapter 15 as to who Othniel is. And he's the one who took Deborah. He's the one who was able to conquer it. But there's some also other information there as well. If you notice in that passage, verse 17, the Bible says that he is the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb. Now, Caleb's the one who's offered his daughter. Uh, do we have somewhat of a family affair that's going on here now? He is Kenaz, the, or the Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb. Got a question for you. As you're reading that, and depending upon which translation you actually read from, uh, there's a question that comes. Is this guy actually the brother of Caleb or is he the nephew of Caleb? Was Kenaz the, the brother of Caleb and Othniel his son? Let me just say right here, even in going back to the original language, the door is wide open. We don't know. We can't tell for certain. It does seem that rather than being an uncle, it would make more since it would probably fit better with a narrative and what else we know in regard to this man that he would likely have been a cousin, uh, the, the brother of Caleb's, uh, Caleb's brother's son, likely, but again, the Hebrew leaves it wide open. Now, somebody raised the objection, somebody raised the question, well, he's called the son of Kenaz, and uh, Caleb is said to be the son of Jephunneh. But back in chapter 14, verse 6, in chapter 14, verse 4, 14 rather, Jephunneh is called the Kenazite. And back in the book of Numbers, he's called the Kenazite. Let me just say this very simply. There was a group of people who were Kenites. But it doesn't seem that Jephunneh nor Caleb nor even this other guy was related to them. Why? Well, these were Gentiles and Caleb was from the tribe of Judah. 
as we've already established tonight. But it's also possible that this name, Jephunneh the Kenizzite, is actually, that's not necessarily a proper name, but a description of it. For the word Kenizzite in the Hebrew language means hunter. Jephunneh the hunter. When we come to Kenaz, that is the proper name adapted from the word that we get Kenizzite from in the original language. And so the name could literally be Hunter. Have you ever known a child named Hunter? Anybody? Sure. Got one sitting in the audience tonight. And so... Perhaps that's what we have here. And so, I said that to say this tonight. You know, we could argue uncle, cousin, and still not get the story behind Achniel. Yes, he was family. One or the other. It can be either. Hebrew admits either. But there's more to him than that. Who is this Othniel? Well, go to the book of Judges, chapter 3. Beginning in verse number 7, the Bible says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This is after the death of Joshua. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan, Rishtham, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan, Rishtham, eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who served them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war. The Lord gave Cushan, Rishathiam, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan, Rishathiam, so the land rested 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. You see, this same man that we're reading about in Joshua chapter 15, who was willing to have the faith to go and to take Deborah at the behest of Caleb, also had the faith and the courage and the strength and even the confidence of God that God placed in him to be the first judge of the tribes of Israel. And he led Israel for 40 years. You know, Caleb, when you go back and you look and the requirements that he places on it, the things that we've said, maybe it begins to make sense when we come later and we read about this guy. That's who Othniel was. Not only did Caleb have confidence in him, God had confidence in him. And he had learned to be a military leader when he was younger, and now God had confidence in him and trusted in him enough to raise him up to be the deliverer 
of not just Axaw and not just Deborah, but of his people. That's who Othniel is. We read about him, we're introduced to him here in the book of Joshua, chapter number 15. But we see, we see more about him than that. Well, they are continuing on and hurriedly tonight. There's something else that we see here in Joshua chapter number 15, and it has to do with Axol and Othniel. But uh, as you look there and continue on, you're going to find that Axol, she asked for a blessing from her father. Now one of the things she encourages her husband to do is uh, go ask daddy for some land. Ask him for a field of land. That's what the Bible, as we'll see here in Joshua chapter 15, 17 and following through 19 there. That's what she says. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, captured it and he gave him Axel, his daughter, as wife. When she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field. Now, it seems to jump ahead in time because the Bible says, and she got off her donkey as it seems that as they are, she's moving from her father's house perhaps into the, to the house or into the, the family of, of Othniel and she's leaving. She gets off of her donkey and Caleb said to her, what do you want? And you keep reading and she said, give me a blessing. Since you've given me the land, that's why I say we have a jump in time here, she encourages Othniel to ask daddy for some, for, for some land and evidently he's already given him the land. And she says, Since you have given me the land of the Negeb, give me also springs of water. And he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. She asked for a blessing from her father. Now, you know, sort of reminiscent of, uh, of Rebecca as she's living, uh, leaving her household and the things that surround that, she, uh, you know, the discussion that goes on between her and her family, but, but is this, at this tender moment when daddy's having to say goodbye to his daughter, to, that she's moving out of the house, if you will, she gets off of her donkey and he knows that she's wanting something else. What do you want? Daddy, you gave us some land. But it's down there in the south. It's in the Negeb, the south part, the dry part. Daddy, it ain't got no water on it. What are we going to do? We can't grow stuff. It's not as good as what we really need. We need some land with some water on it. And that hard-hearted Caleb said, No, truck it in. You know, bring it in. Do, do the best you can. And he said, Let me give you some more land. I'll give you the upper springs and the lower springs. He gave her more than what she really needed, but that's a whole different story, a whole other uh, concept that we could explore and delve into tonight. But here's what I want to think about in regard to that. Here's a chip off the old block, isn't it? Do you remember what we encountered, talked about, named our lesson last time? What had Daddy said? Give me this mountain. 
We titled this lesson, Give Me Springs of Water. A chip off the old block. What do you mean by that? Perhaps she had seen the faith that her daddy had and the blessings that it brought along with it. And that affected her. She saw what it was like to be to ask in faith and to have the blessing granted. And now she has the same thing granted by her own earthly father who gave her the springs of land or water. Did you catch that? She had seen this in action. Don't miss the point. Living by faith has a powerful influence on our children. She had to learn that from someone. She wasn't being unreasonable. What kind of, what good was the land without water? Everything she asked was within reason. She wasn't trying to be greedy. If she had, surely Caleb would have said, no, you know, let me give you, I'll give you some water, I'll give you some land to get you by. But he gave more than really she asked for. Isn't that what God does for us? Can he, does he not bless us with more than we can even ask or think? You see, as we look at it here, we see this little story. God saw fit to include that in his book. Now, it's only three or four verses that we read about it here, but God could have left that out we would have never known that little story. We would have never been, you know, any wiser or whatever. But God put it there for a reason for us to learn from it. Why is it there? To show us how bad and greedy she was? Don't think that's the case. But here's a child who's affected by faith that a father had. Now, conversely, children can be affected by the lack of faith as well, can't they? We don't want them to be affected in that way. We want to have children raised up like Caleb had with Axel. And so, again, as you look at it and you think about it, there's a lesson that, that just sort of jumps up and pops out for us. But then there's one last thing before we close out tonight, and this is found toward the end of the chapter that, that we want to look at. You see, in contrast to Caleb and Axel and Othniel, the people of Judah seem to come up short. Now, mind you, Caleb is a member of the tribe of Judah, but he doesn't have control over the whole land. He he, you know, he can't control thousands of people who are in that tribe. And so the people of Judah 
to a degree come up short. What do you mean by that? Look at verse 63. But the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah could not drive out. So the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. When you think about Judah, when you read about the tribe and the land of Judah in the Old Testament, what's one of the first places that comes to your mind? What's mentioned probably more than any other place in the Old Testament and in the New Testament? Jerusalem. And the people of Israel, Judah, the children of Judah, the people of the tribe of Judah, they get their boundaries, they are given their land, and they can't drive the people, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, out. Let that one sink in for a moment. While you're letting it sink in, understand this God had made a promise. What was the promise? All the way back in Deuteronomy 7, verse 24. And he will give their kings into your hand. You shall make their name perish from under the earth, from from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. Uh, Oh, no one except the people of Jerusalem, the Jebusites. Is that what it said? He said, no one. Deuteronomy 11.25 No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that you shall tread as he promised you. God made a promise. No one will be able to stand against you. But now we turn to Joshua 15 verse 63 And the verse tells us they couldn't drive them out. Was it impossible for them to drive them out? Well, think about what is said later on in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. I didn't put this one on the screen. There's an interesting story there. As young King David comes into power, what's one of the first things that we find him doing? He goes up to Jerusalem. The Jebusites are still there. The Jebusites basically see him coming and they say, ain't no way, you can't run us out. Matter of fact, they said, well, we'll put the blind folks and the lame folks in here and they'll be able to hold you out because we're up on a hill. And we're well defended. We're fortified. Nobody's been able to drive us out until now and you're not going to be able to do it either. And so if you read that story there in Second Samuel, you're going to find out that that was not the case because David summoned some of his uh, army. He says, here's what we're going to do. We're going up where the water runs. We're going up basically the water pipes. And we're going to get in the city. And we're going to take it. 
And you know what they did? They took the city by going up where the water was put into the city. And you know what David did? He made his home there. He made his palace there. He ruled from Jerusalem. And he called it the city of David. According to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 5. It wasn't that this fortress was impenetrable. It wasn't that it couldn't be taken. It wasn't that God was not strong enough to help the the tribe of Judah take it. What was it? By process of elimination, the problem was not with God. The problem was with the people. Was there perhaps a lack of faith on the part of the people in being able to take that one important city? Folks, where is our Jerusalem? Oh, not the one that's already been conquered. The one that we're fearful of. The one that we don't think we can overcome, that we don't think that we can take. Where's our Jerusalem? Who are our Jebusites that hold us back from blessings that God has promised? (coughs) You see, it's not just a little story that we find here that, oh well, yeah, they got everything else, but they couldn't get that. It wasn't that the land couldn't be taken. It was that there was a problem with faith. God was strong enough to run anybody out. He said a will. He made that promise. It's stated to be a promise there in Deuteronomy chapter 11. We read it. And they didn't evidently believe his promise. Let that be a lesson to us. Always believe in the promises of God. And even though it may seem impossible to us, what does the Bible say? With God, some things are possible. Most things are possible. A whole bunch of things are possible. Oh, years went by, years and years and years before they ever conquered the city. And God had promised long before nobody could stand before them. Well, those are a few of the things that you see here in this chapter, chapter of land division. There are things that, that are there, you know, in the just little tidbits and nuggets of information in the midst of all of these landlines that are described. Uh, this, this place where uh, the children, the tribe of Judah, uh, would be able to inherit. But there are great spiritual lessons that are tucked inside all of that. 
maybe you're here tonight and there's something amiss in your life that you need to get right. Maybe you're here and you want to become a child of God. If you are and there's something that we can assist you with tonight, we want to do that right now as together we stand and sing.